welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Electric Avenue, helping you navigate life with epilepsy. I'm Christian, always joined by... David! And Mike. And we have another special guest with us yet again for her second <laughs> time on the show. We have Christina Swardowski. <laughs> You'll get it. You're, you're gonna get it by the if end we, of if these we do, episodes. If we ever do a third episode, I'll, I'll, that'll be the one. Third time's the charm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us again, uh, Christina. Uh, I'm excited to dive a little bit deeper into your experience with uh, your juvenile myoclonic epilepsy, I believe. Yeah. In our uh, last discussion, we were talking about uh, pretty much your childhood and going through all that. And obviously, that's um, not where you are in life today and no. on that road and covered all the importance of, of going through school and what that was like through uh, elementary and uh, ultimate through high school and how to manage and all that. Um, so today, we'd like to move on to uh, the uh, more of an adult conversation about life with epilepsy, Christina, and how it's affected you um, and uh, all of that. Once again... Uh, Electric, Ave Electric Avenue is sponsored by the Epilepsy Association. Um, you can follow everything that uh, is going on um, in uh, not only Central Florida, but around uh, the country and around the world uh, with resources uh, through our website at uh, epilepsyassociation.com and epilepsyu.com. And then one last plug before we get uh, started is uh, please check out epilepsystore.com uh, where you can find epilepsy awareness merchandise uh, 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 for purchase. Okay, Christian, I'm done with the plug. So let's get rolling on Christina and life as an adult with epilepsy. Okay, so we, we, we know that currently you're the chief of staff for the uh, Florida Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. Mm -hmm. uh, when did that sort of start? Was that like when you went into college uh, after, you know, in your younger years in high school dealing with epilepsy, where you're like, I know where I want to go. I want to be in healthcare management or something like that. Or was your college experience sort of uh, a little bit different at first and you, you had to figure out where you wanted to go? Yeah, it was a little, it was a little different at first. Um, I, when I graduated from high school, I actually came down to y'all's area. Um, I went to UCF. Y'all's area, where'd you come from? <laughs> from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, so not too far, not too yeah. far. <laughs> um, but I actually started as a pre-med major. Um, healthcare has been something that's just kind of been in my family. My mom uh, is a nurse, um, so it was always something I was exposed to. And then obviously as a patient with epilepsy, you kind of go through the ins and outs of the healthcare system. And there was just a lot of things that I thought were kind of cool and interesting. And that's how I entered college. Um, my freshman year, I did, I did pretty okay. I was on um, okay medication management. I had actually, uh, my freshman year of college, I'd switched to a new neurologist um, because I was having overarching health problems um, aside from just epilepsy. Um, and actually come to find out that one of them was due to the nature of a drug I was taking, Depakote, it had actually masked some of the symptoms of another disease called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I was diagnosed with. Um, so, you know, I get down there my freshman year, things are, they're okay. Um, I come home for the summer and that's really where we kind of start to mess with my medication a little bit. And I'm sure anybody with epilepsy can tell you that when you start to do 
you know, medication management and changes to that, it can, it can wreak havoc on you. Um, so coming back my sophomore year, I was on a new drug and I remember sitting outside of my organic chemistry classroom and I just could not for the life of me remember what I was reading. I could not, I couldn't digest anything. I couldn't remember anything. And so all of a sudden my schoolwork started to become affected. And here I am on my own. I don't have my support system. I was very lucky to have met somebody who I trusted imp implicitly, but you know, I'm 19. I don't have my mom who was always right there for anything I had needed for those last 10 years. So this whole other kind of fear starts to, to settle in with you, you know, like even things that most people probably don't really think about, but like, okay, if I'm home by myself and I have a seizure in the shower, what happens? Or the place that I was living, the door was on the ground floor, but you had to go up a steep set of stairs to get to my bedroom. So what happens, you know, I had already had a grandma seizure as I was going down the stairs, but somebody was there. So what happens if, if nobody's there? So all of these thoughts kind of race through your head as you're, you're kind of experiencing this adulthood and this living on your own for the first time. And yeah. By your mom being a nurse, right? Did you, were you able to bring a lot of your self-management? Were you trained to do this? Or did you kind of have to learn that all yourself when you got to college on what to do, when to take your meds and how to react and stuff like that? And as far as self-management goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my mom, um, I think her being there through every point of my journey as a kid, um, which I will always tell anybody, find your advocate. Um, yes, the things that are happening are happening to you and your body, but find somebody who also has a voice as that third party perspective, who sees the things that you don't see like your mood changes or, you know, the actual episodes or mm. things of that nature, find that advocate because then they're really going to help create a holistic picture for providers. Right. And they can speak to things that may be pushed aside because you don't notice them as the patient. Yeah. And the um, idea that you had your mom as a, that nurse and as an advocate, boy, you, that, what a blessing. Uh, um that was, and I love the information about make sure you, you know, find your advocate. I, I love that advice. Uh, but back to going to college, I, I, I can't get past the places. How did you have the courage to go away to college? I, and, and after you explained all those things that popped in your head and you said, oh my goodness, I have to think about these things and Mike bringing up now it's all on you. It's self-management. Yeah. How did you have the guts to go away to college? I was just, I was determined. I, you know, like I said, like I've told people before, epilepsy doesn't define me. It has made, it has made me into the person that I am today. But if you are somebody who can manage, because I know obviously not all epilepsy is the same, but if there, if you are a person who can manage and, and medication management works for you, as long as you are sticking to things that you know, you are getting your sleep. You're trying to have low stress environments. You're taking your medication routinely. There's a certain sense of 
calmness that kind of comes with that and saying, okay, I can do these things because I'm doing the things that I know I need to do. So I never let it dampen me because I knew there were things that I could do to lessen the chances of me having a seizure. And at this time was actually when I found out that I was never going to grow out of my juvenile myoclonic uh, epilepsy. I was always going to have it. So I knew going into college, all right, medication therapy is just going to be a thing that I have to do the rest of my life. Well, and then uh, the, this whole idea that you um, have to manage that medication. And then uh, thank goodness you talked about how when you went home for the summer, things started to change and you started to change your medication um, and then going down that road uh, and the consequences of that. Uh, so, yeah, a lot going on there. How much <laughs> did your, you haven't mentioned anything about your diet. Did that ever play a part of your seizure activity? Yes. So um, we did go to the ketogenic diet for a while. Mm. Um, but eventually I learned to just kind of balance uh, proteins, carbs, and vegetables. Yeah, because having uh, a ketogenic in college would have been very tough. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so it did play a part. Um, I will say for me, though, the best therapy option, the the thing that worked the most was medication. Okay. Um, which was why uh, I was never afraid to do uh, medicine changes. They were a pain in the butt. But at the end of the day, I knew for my type of epilepsy and, and the type that I was experiencing, medication management was the best route for me. Well, you um, had to be an you had to be an adult and you had to be responsible and you had to actually you know most kids are going off to college and they're thinking of all not only all the academic and all that but the, the all the other things socially that goes on in college and I imagine you had to um, um be a little more responsible and a little more adult about that uh those opportunities. I did, yeah. Um you know, and unfortunately I had to make probably the most adult decision I made uh at 19 was to because my seizure my my epilepsy I should say became more difficult to manage that I unfortunately had to leave UCF um, halfway through the first semester of my sophomore year. Um, it was, I think to this day, probably the hardest decision that I had to make. Um, but in a weird way, it kind of opened up the path to how I got to where I am today. So not every bad decision that comes with, with, putting yourself first with your epilepsy um, is necessarily a bad thing. It, it doesn't always lead to the worst thing. It can also lead to some pretty great things. Yeah. It, it sounds like it, at least at the time felt like a admitting defeat. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can only imagine, but yeah, it, it, the time with the passage of time, it did most things eventually do, uh, tend to be at least if not liked at least agreed that it's like okay as long as that happens like i wouldn't have gotten here yeah well it's a journey right life's a journey and and that and one adult uh, like you said an adult decision that might not everybody would uh, uh come to the understanding that the reality of 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 life uh, uh does come into play and it, it, there are hard decisions in life to make yeah and it just you know it came down to silly things like you know 
that most people might not think about, but not having my mom there, not, or, you know, living by myself, not, you know, not having my, because my neurologist was in Jacksonville this whole time. So not having my neurologist, you know, her being 200 miles away, there were a lot of factors, you know, me not doing well in school because of the side effects of medication. There were so many factors that I looked at that I just said, you know what, it's not the right time. I need to put my health first. I can get, you know, I can get back into school. I can't get back into my health. Like right. that has to come first. Well, that, that's huge too. And I hope that anybody potentially listening with a similar situation can take, take some courage from, from, from your story and your, your example and evidence that, that things, they do work out and, it, it, yeah, I can well, you got to live life and you got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea that I think what you're getting at, Christian, is, um, yeah, you got to make the hard decisions and it's not the wrong decision. There's yeah. no wrong decisions. Um, it's, it's those decisions are, are, are the reality, uh, of, of living life with epilepsy and, and, and figuring out how to do that. And yeah, um, there's no shame. Uh, you need a, a different level of support, um, uh, you do. for, and that, and, uh, to accept that and, not to um, just throw a blind eye. I, I, I always come back to Mike because I, I, I talk to Mike a lot. Is, but you got to have, you, you got, you know, Mike used to be a scuba diver, right? Mike used to, yeah. yeah. What are the things that, uh, Mike, that you, you've kind of had to give up in adulthood yeah. uh, as far as activities? Uh, a lot of passion. Motorcycle riding for one, mm -hmm. scuba diving. Can never go on roller coasters again. Yeah, so they recommend you lose a lot of your social. There, there's pieces there that you yeah. gotta that you gotta accept the reality of. You can't yeah. uh, uh, say, well, in spite of. I mean, right. there there is that reality. So uh, let let's not ever lose sight that it's just it's yeah, not it's, all rainbows. And it, well, it sounds like you know, like me, it changed my career. This has definitely led me to my new career path, and it sounds like it it had a, a lot to play with where you're at now. It hundred percent did. You mentioned earlier the path um, that led you to where you are now, and that—that's that, what I really want to hear about next from you. Is what did that look like? What did you know? We're talking about these uh, hard but necessary sacrifices of, of things that other people might not understand, but you know those have to be replaced with something that that fulfills those that that need in that that area so what, what did you find yeah. on your path that you, you sort of were able to replace some of those things with yeah so i think the biggest thing right at 19 for me was i realized that i'm probably not the best candidate to be a doctor right <laughs> if sleep and stress are my biggest triggers I don't know how well I would do, you know, in a residency program or a right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I really had to take a hard look at that and say, okay, this really isn't the career path for me. But I still want to do something adjacent. And that's when I kind of really started to um look at healthcare policy. Um, you know, I think one thing that any epileptic will tell you, uh, one of their biggest fears is becoming uninsured, um, because <laughs> epilepsy is an expensive disease. My seizure medications are well into the thousands every month. Wow. Um, and if I didn't have insurance, you know, I don't know what I would do. Um, and I, I grew up very privileged with not 
only a mom who was a nurse, but with that came attached to hospital health insurance, right? So I, I never wanted for care. I, I always had access to it. And as I kind of grew up a little bit more and into adulthood, and at the time, um, you know, epilepsy, as I was going to be getting off of my mother's health insurance, epilepsy was a pre-existing condition. And, mm. you know, here I am in my early 20s where a lot of my friends are wondering, okay, where can I intern at or where can I do this? I'm starting to wonder, oh, my God, how how am I going to be able to exist as a human? Yeah. Because I, what am I going to do? So then that's kind of really what got me into the into the realm of of nonprofit and health policy, because even though I was very lucky that the law changed and, and pre-existing conditions were done away with, that there are people who lived their whole life with my similar existence without access to health insurance. Yeah. In America, turning 26 can be a very scary uh, birthday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I really wanted to, to come into a world where um, people who did not have the privilege that I had, um, I, I could, I feel like I could help them in some way, shape or form. Um, and, and that's really what I wanted to do. We, we connected because you're with the Florida Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. We did. And like you said, uh, you know, what do those people do? And and and, and we met because um, uh, through that, but, you know, organizations like the Epilepsy Associations, th that is what we do. And anybody out there who maybe does not have insurance or are worried about it, especially with epilepsy, there are organizations all over the country. Um, you just got to find them. And w one of our things that we do is we'll help help you find that place where you can get that that medical coverage. So one of the big things um, that the Epilepsy Association does is provide um, neurological uh, uh, health care to those who have seizure disorders um, at no cost or low cost to make sure that we they can get back in society and and have that safety net. So um, there are groups out there um, who are who provide that safety net through organizations like Florida Association of Free and Charitable Clinics, where uh, even people with epilepsy or other disorders can get that uh, medical care that they, they maybe are, are struggling to find because of that expense. There's my plug again, <laughs> Christian. You got it. When you turn 26, I know for me, I, I, I was generally well taken care of uh, medically, physically, uh, you know, up until that point. Uh, and, and I want to sort of, I say this sort of as an encouragement to anyone out there who might be listening and is coming up on that, that mile marker of losing your parents' insurance, or maybe you've never had their insurance. Uh, and to begin with, don't feel ashamed to reach out to organizations that exist to help mm -hmm. people that are in your situation. Like if, if you really don't have insurance, there's no way for you to get it. Like, you can go and receive help. That's that's why we exist. D different organizations and 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 a lot of times that uh, a, a nonprofit uh, might not only might not be able to support you a hundred percent financially, but maybe they have reduced costs or offer reduced costs um, doctors appointments. Um, certainly help. We help a lot of people with emergency medication when they're running low or running Absolutely. out. Absolutely. 
uh, and then people who are moving uh, in and out of the area. So um, yeah, that, another big part of this podcast is to make sure that people understand there are services out there in your area. You just need to reach out and find them and and and, and put a little effort on um, uh, connecting. Um, and then certainly on the other side of that, for people who maybe understand the importance of that, these are all privately funded um, nonprofit organizations. Certainly they can always use volunteers, uh, help bring in the epilepsy a community together or leading support groups or financially. So um, we would always advocate for making sure uh, that that uh, help for that way. So that these things can exist to help people who are in a, a, a trouble that way. Um, yeah. Now let's get back on to Christina's story. Yeah, I, Christina, <laughs> actually, I, well, I wanted to think about this for a second, but the mm -hmm. question that came to me was uh, as someone who, you know, has had the experience that you have that we've learned and we've heard you tell us and is now, you know, clearly in a position where you're, you're, you're working to affect change and stuff like that. What do you think is the most important thing that, uh, you know, organizations like us, uh, awareness and uh, education organizations, this and that, what, what do you think is the most important thing to be teaching people or to be advocating for? So I think with epilepsy in particular, um, it's one of those diagnoses that, right, Dave has seen me. We have met many times. We have spoken many times. Dave, would you know that I have epilepsy if I didn't tell you? No, not until you, you pulled me aside. Absolutely not. The yeah. invisible yeah. disease. Exactly. So I think, you know, casting a wide net and... People may not want people to know they have epilepsy. I have certainly met people like that. So really kind of, I think, making a safe space for people to say, hey, you know, I, I do struggle with this. And, and you know, maybe they still have grand malls. Maybe they can't get controlled uh, through medication or through diet um, or through, you know, meditation and, and all of those things to bring down stress and, and things like that. So I think it's really about finding those people and, you know, I think, too, I know I say this a lot, and for me, epilepsy could be worse, right? And that's not to diminish mine, but it's this kind of recognition that, you know, I haven't had a grand mall since February of Valentine's Day uh, 2006. Um, right. So I'm I'm very lucky. And but I think there are a lot, there's a lot of that thought process in the epilepsy community. And it's like, just because you're not having grand malls or, you know, you don't have, you haven't had a seizure in, you know, 13 years or whatever the case may be, doesn't mean that you don't struggle with it. There are still things that you struggle daily that maybe you don't recognize because it's just been so ingrained in you for so long to just kind of deal with it that it doesn't mean you don't need help. So I think particularly with epilepsy, to just kind of cast a wide net and say, hey, this isn't just about if you're still having seizures. This is about a lifestyle, right? Because at the end of the day, for people who don't outgrow their epilepsy or things of that nature, you are going to be managing it in some way, shape or form for the rest of your life. And I think that's what's important is to help people understand that, that just because it could be worse 
does not invalidate your day-to-day -day experience. That's a, a that's that's just a great statement right there. Um, and I, I I I the fact that you have to manage your epilepsy and your medication uh, daily for the rest of your life. The advice is the same. Take care of yourself. Uh, take care of all your medical needs um, daily. Mm -hmm. Manage who your life is and your exercise and your diet. It's just life management and it's a, a piece of that. Um, and those are skills that we all need to be um, working on every day. Absolutely. All right. Well, and thank you so much again for joining us, Christina. It's been honestly a pleasure getting to hear your unique view and and take on on how you've dealt with such a pervasive and like Mike said, invisible uh, disease that, that really that it extends to every aspect of your life. And it, it's always really inspiring, I think, for us to see people, you know, all one in the middle of it and being resilient and getting through it, but then like a lot of our clients, but then also like getting to hear stories like this that are like, okay, this is, this is uh, something brimming with hope for people that might be listening. And once again, if you want to follow up with uh, uh, and find more information um, on um, juvenile myoclonic uh, epilepsy or anything epilepsy related, uh, or uh, just to find out other stories out there, please visit epilepsyu.com. Um, and uh, become part of the conversation. Sheena, do you have any uh, the parting words? Just know that, you know, you can do anything. I mean, you know, I talked about how that decision to leave UCF was, for me, probably the most crushing thing at the time. But, you know, I'm here now with a master's in public administration and, and happy with, with my career. So, yes, it was bad at the time, but there's always going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. Fantastic, That's and amazing. thank you so much, Christina. Thank you so much. As always, everybody, I've been Christian. I'm David. And Mike. And we were joined by... Christina Swerdowski. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. Awesome. We'll see, see you later. Electric Avenue is proudly sponsored by the Epilepsy Association, an organization dedicated to improving the quality of life for persons affected by epilepsy. Mm -hmm.